2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions.
0: listener questions episode, Joel. You know, one day we actually might run out of listener questions,
1: but hopefully we don't. (laughs) I I sure hope not, because then I'm gonna have to do one of those voice apps where I change the sound of my voice (laughs) and ask random questions that I don't actually have. Witness protection program app. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, No, we love these episodes because we're able to connect with our listeners directly and answer their specific questions. This episode, we have five great ones, including one about our credit card recommendations. There's another question about uh, mortgage forbearance or deferment, some of the different programs like that that are going on right now. Now, uh, And there, we also have a follow-up to our fire episode, our financial independence retire early episode. A listener has a question about a very specific type of fire that she wanted us to elaborate on. So I'm excited to get to that one plus two others, buddy. So many subsets of fire now,
1: man. I feel like they're proliferating.
0: Yeah. Everyone has their own unique recipe and they can vary just like our, our lives vary, right? Because this all comes down to how it is that you want to spend your money, how you want to spend your time. That's why there can be such a difference between one person's you know path to fire versus somebody else's. But yeah, we can look forward to that question towards the end of the episode. Yeah, man. All right. But before we get to that, it is episode 250, right? And that's kind of yeah. a big deal. <laughs> it, it is a big deal. Although I look back and we totally cruised right past w- episode 100 and episode 200. Like, why are we now going to celebrate 250? <laughs> that's a good know? point. Yeah. Like, I'm the kind of person who I probably need to celebrate milestones in my life more often than I do. But, but yeah, 250, here we are, man. 250 feels like, all right, we're legit podcasters at this point in time. I, I don't know. Maybe 100 was, was that mark too. Uh, up but. until now, we've just been slumming it. But yeah. now, <laughs>
1: 250, yeah, that's legit. But we don't celebrate too hard, right? Like, it's, it's still fun. Like, we love creating every episode, but getting to 250 is is kind of fun to see. And I think that... It the is cu- crazy to think about. Like, 250 times we've sat down and
0: you've said, welcome to How to Money. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, my name is Matt. <laughs> or I'm Matt, or whatever.
1: Yeah, and I, the, the community that, that's kind of surrounded the show has been great. Uh, we've, we've met some really awesome people through being able to create this yeah. podcast. So, yeah, on that note, Matt... Uh, As we celebrate 250 episodes, what's your favorite episode that we've released so far? Do you have a favorite?
0: Okay. Uh, So well, you just said we got to meet a lot of interesting people. I think one of my favorite episodes is actually an interview. Uh, I can't remember when this was, but we interviewed uh, Kurt Steinhorst. And we call that episode, uh, you know, like maintaining focus in a world of distraction, something like that. And I selfishly like that one because I've worked from home for over a decade now. And it was all about finding ways to stay focused, finding ways to keep your productivity high. While not getting distracted, uh, in not just in the world today, but you know at home as well, because he had some great tips on how to create a, a great work environment, specifically at home, with more people than ever now working from home. I think this isn't just a selfish pick anymore. This is also uh, an episode that I think would be really helpful for a lot of folks who you know are in a similar position, who are working from home. By the way, that was episode one forty six so uh, yeah scroll back and listen to that one if you haven't already uh what about you man was your favorite episode an interview or regular episode or so
1: listener, i think listener questions i, I have a feeling it's going to be this one because i'm optimistic i think this is going to be my favorite episode I, I think we got some great questions here oh this actual episode yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah episode 250 that's pretty bold man calling it before we even record it you know or <laughs> as we're recording it like babe ruth pointing towards the bleachers <laughs> was it left field <laughs> he was left-handed so i think it was left field probably <laughs> or, i don't know maybe he went dead center he's like listen i'm gonna hit this bomb 420 feet but Let's crush it uh yeah i would say probably so far my favorite episode was uh one that we've replayed too and, and we replayed it on it was episode 151 and it was about money your brain and buying happiness i think that's another one that can be helpful to people right now because there is a lot of emotional spending that's happening uh, because of the pandemic and uh we kind of delved into a little bit of the psychology beneath how how our brains work when it comes to how we handle money so i just really enjoyed creating that one i think the interplay of psychology and money is fascinating I think in the past couple decades we we've, we've really started to to kind of unearth some of what that looks like and I know there's a lot more work to be done on that topic but I think that uh, if I had to pick one is probably my favorite episode that we've uh, that we've released so far man
0: nice man yeah that was a good one that was the episode where we talked about the hedonic treadmill right uh, because essentially okay. you know you you think of something that's going to make you happier you get it and makes you happier for a little bit but then you quickly return to you know, your
1: baseline happiness, whatever that is. Yeah. And like a a treadmill, it's kind of like leaves you chasing after more, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. All right. So we'll stop celebrating. We'll get on with the rest of the episode. Uh, But... Well, we can continue to celebrate with our beer that we're sharing this episode. Yeah. This one's called Red Wine Fooder Beer. And it's by a a local brewery called Southern Brewing Company. I'm looking forward to having this one with you today, my friend. By local, they're kind of local. They're they're based in Athens.
0: So that's not too far out from us. Not too far. Yeah. They're in our state. Athens isn't a suburb of Atlanta though. <laughs> it's no, like that's a, true. It's still an hour and a half from us. I wouldn't have driven to the brewery to get this. Beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
1: but yeah, I'm really excited about this one man excited to share our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. All right, Matt let's get on to listener questions and for folks that want to submit a question for the show just go to our website howtomoney.com slash ask there are simple instructions there where you can submit a voice question to be featured on an upcoming episode it'll take you just a minute or two and we look forward to having yours on so Matt and I don't have to create fake ones <laughs> where we disguise our voices uh, but let's get to the first one this one is about buying an investment property
3: hey Joel and Matt this is uh, Bradley in South Carolina first of all love the podcast I have a real estate question for you, uh, looking at purchasing a, a long-term rental in a price range of 125000
1: to $150,000, um, just w- wonder what you felt about buying a fixer-upper compared to buying a new build where you know there's not going to be any
0: issues uh, anytime soon. All right. Thanks for that question, Bradley. And first of all, you know I love the price range that you mentioned. You mentioned uh, maybe looking at a property from one hundred twenty-five to maybe one hundred fifty. But I would maybe try to stick to the lower end of that price range, and that's because rental income it doesn't move up in tandem with the price of a home. And so, like basically, a one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars home will typically provide more profitability, uh, a better return on your investment than uh, a home that costs two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But you know there can be a lot of factors to take into account you know, what's available in the markets, uh, and even to the type of property that you want. Obviously, we're talking about single family here. But if you're talking about a duplex or a triplex, a quadplex, you know, you might have to spend 250 in order to get that property. And chances are, uh, your return on investment would be much higher than a single family home. So it does kind of depend on a few factors.
1: Yeah. And every individual property is different, of course. How much it costs, the amount that you'll be able to get in rent depends so much on the specific property, the specific location, how good of a condition it's in. But what Matt said is is often true and that the more expensive of a home you buy, you don't see an equivalent return in rent uh, by going up in price point. And so sticking to the lower end of your budget is in all likelihood going to uh, get you the best numbers possible. Yeah. That, that's going to be a frugal move, not a cheap move. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> yeah, and especially if you can put a little bit into it for some equity and, and make that property better, then you're going to be able to entice more potential tenants and uh, hopefully increase the amount of rent you're going to be able to get from that from that home. Uh, and Bradley, I love that you said long-term rental, right? Because getting into the rental property game should actually be a long-term decision. And, and that's because of a few factors. The costs of buying and, and especially selling a property are astronomical. And so if you're buying and selling frequently, that can nab most of your profits, That's unless you're doing kind of an advanced tax strategy called the 1031 exchange, which can be a real estate investor's best friend. But the more we do sell properties, we're going to incur greater fees, higher taxes. And so uh, it is a long term play. You want to buy something that you can uh, hold for an extended period of time. That's how you're going to see your best overall results when it comes to profit from that house.
0: Yeah, the 1031 exchange that can eliminate capital gains taxes. But then you're still like you mentioned the fees, Joel, you're still stuck with realtor fees. And so if you're selling a $150,000 home, you're looking at close to $10,000 in just realtor fees alone. And that's a lot of money, man. You might have to pay closing costs, too. Yeah. And so let's go and get into the the, the heart of Bradley's question here. Uh, you know, he's asking, should he go with a fixer upper or a new home? as an investment property. And a fixer-upper is going to, to win <laughs> every single time if the question is about what will make you more money. Buying a nasty property that requires a lot of work, you know, one of those ugly homes, then doing that work, ideally as much of it as possible yourself, and then renting out you know, that cute older home will often give you the best bang for your buck. And Joe, like you mentioned, you, you touched on forcing appreciation. You're essentially forcing appreciation by making these improvements to this property, with that sweat equity that you've contributed, Bradley.
1: Yeah, it's important to note too that new homes aren't necessarily a slam dunk in regards to not having issues. <laughs> exactly. If you're buying a new home, it's just as important to get an inspection because you don't know how good the workmanship was on that new home. So I think sometimes people think new home or new car, whatever it is, means zero issues, and I don't have to think about it. And that's just not necessarily the case. In all likelihood, <laughs> there will be fewer issues, uh, but it doesn't mean that there won't be any. Yeah,
0: uh, there might be a new HVAC, but maybe that HVAC wasn't installed properly and it does actually end up failing in six or seven years when it. You know, could have lasted for maybe twenty years. That could be the kind of situation that you'd be in with a new build. Yeah, you got to
1: do your due diligence, yeah. right? And, and Matt, I kind of like to pick something in the middle, like a middle route for myself. I personally actually avoid typically those ugly houses, the nastiest homes that require like a full gut job. Joel does not buy ugly homes, <laughs> <laughs> or or like, and even though I know that they do produce higher returns. I just don't have the time uh, personally, or, or I don't want to put in the time to buy the ugliest homes, to scour them, to be competing with all the other real estate investors that are trying to get the highest possible returns from their property. I personally look for homes that need some work, like maybe just they've got the nastiest bathroom in there, but most of the house is, is relatively intact. It needs paint and a cleaning, right? Uh, or it needs a few updates here and there or a new roof. And once those minor rentals are done, then I can attract great tenants to live there. I know that I'm not getting like the biggest deal on the face of the planet, but it works kind of for my abilities as someone who can manage work being done to a rental property and who has a, a lot of other commitments in his life. So it's not necessarily an either or, Bradley. I think you can find something in the middle um, that will work for you, especially if you've got a lot of other stuff going on, a day job perhaps, and you don't have the time to be a, a full-time contractor overseeing a full reno of an older home. I feel like this method has allowed me to invest in real estate without the incredible t- Time demands that are often put on investors who are looking to do like complete overhauls and rehabs.
0: Yeah, it really does come down to how much time you're willing to, to put into it. If, if you're wanting this to kind of be a part time job, you know, on the side, then by all means go with a, a full gut job where you can kind of hire the contractors to know that you're getting quality work done. It's, it's something that you don't have to worry about down the road. But, but yeah, if you are wanting maybe something that is a little more automated, like investing, but just investing that takes a little bit more work, then maybe going with something that's a touch newer, you know, might allow that for you. And uh, kind of like the lifestyle that you're looking for. And maybe not even newer, but maybe just less beat up. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can have an older home that's in great, great condition. Completely. Uh, so Bradley, best of luck to you, you know, buying a great property. Or even properties over time. You know, um, real estate investing can be a lot of fun. You know, I've never personally gotten a tattoo, but it's kind of like the way I hear people talk about tattoos. It's a lot of fun. You kind of start to collect them over time. It can be a little addicting. So don't be surprised if you end up with more properties down the line. It's hard to just stick with one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like a laced potato chip, something like that.
0: Uh, it was Pringles, right? It wasn't. Okay, yeah, once you pop, you can't stop. Okay, but wasn't I watched there a one... lot of TV when I was a kid. I <laughs> was like a classic '90s uh, TV commercial. But wasn't
1: there one that you like you? You can't stop at one. Wasn't that Lays? No? I don't know. All right. Where's your pop, you can't stop because he had the tube. You know, it's like boom. The (laughs) the top like shoots off. You just made the perfect Pringles can opening sound. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. All right. but let's get to some more questions, Matt, including one about a friend who is having to replace some stuff due to a fire and helping them through that. We'll get to that and more right after this break.
0: For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Joel, we're back from the break taking a list of questions, and now let's go ahead and hear a question on behalf of someone's friend. Hello, my name is Carolyn, and I'm from the Boston area. I'm calling with a question for a friend um, who unfortunately uh, just had an apartment fire and lost everything. Uh, And as devastating as it is, we're trying to make the best of it. And uh, we know that he's going to have to rebuy pretty much everything he owned from furniture to clothes to, you know, pretty much everything. And uh, you have done some great episodes on credit cards and maximizing the points. So I was wondering if you have any recommendations for what cards he should look into. Thank you,
1: Carolyn. First off, you are a great friend. Like the fact that you're submitting a question to a podcast in order to help uh, somebody that's close to you um is majorly impressive. So, yeah, kudos to you for looking out after after your friend. Um and I, I hate that that happened to them. It's terrible. And and I think I just want to mention quickly that this is why renters insurance is so incredibly important, oh, yeah. right? It's so cheap and it's really something that everyone who is renting has to have. And typically uh, renters insurance is, is equivalent to the cost of Netflix every month or maybe even less. And, and yeah, we, Netflix has gone up, so <laughs> yeah, maybe it's less than Netflix.
0: Exactly. As yes, Netflix raises their prices. Yeah, we can't say that it's the cost of YouTube TV anymore because they like
1: double their prices. Yeah, they jack those prices up <laughs> more like Disney plus prices. right now. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so um, but yeah, it, and renters insurance is obviously just so important in the case of an unforeseen disaster like a fire uh, where all of your possessions go up in flames. It's something that every renter truly, truly should have.
0: Yeah, and so if you're looking for renters insurance, that's typically something you can add to you know the insurance that you already have. Say that you have your car or your automobile through, so you can reach out to them and get a quote. If you don't have uh, an insurance policy, you know maybe you don't have a car, right? Maybe you live in the city, then make sure to check out a site like PolicyGenius.com. Uh, but Carolyn, you know you're asking about the different credit card points and, and kind of the, some of the rewards there. They are awesome, but not if you keep a balance, uh, where that would cause you to pay interest to the credit card company. If you're not disciplined, you know, to pay the card every single month, then I would try to buy as much with cash as you can in order to avoid going into debt to replace those items. And you, you, you can even consider putting out a post on social media. You know, you're reaching out to a podcast for some feedback. Uh, see if you can reach out to, to others who might know that friend. You know, you might be able to get some awesome donations. From other folks who care about your friend, who are willing to support him through the donation of maybe extra furniture and some other necessary items that they might have laying around, uh, you could even start a, a GoFundMe page
1: to help him raise cash to help get him through this time. Yeah, Matt. Actually, a, a long time ago, when I was right before I was buying my first house, I actually stored some of my possessions at my boss's house. She was kind enough to let me use her garage, and then nice. we had this thousand-year flood in Atlanta, and all my stuff got wiped out. I wasn't all that worried about it because her home took on a lot of water, right? And, and, And she was going through a tough time. But some of my friends stepped up and they really saw the things that I was needing, the things that had basically gotten ruined uh, due to the floodwaters. And they provided a lot of help, um, a lot of items that they had lying around, a couch they didn't need anymore, and, and kitchen utensils that were really helpful so that I didn't have to go like buy new stuff um, you know, in a store or on Amazon. And so, yeah, that was really helpful. And I think turning to friends is a crucial thing to do like in the aftermath of something like this.
0: Sure, yeah. And that also accounts for your eclectic style as well (laughs) exactly (laughs) well i mean nobody gave me folk art though it was a bummer (laughs) you have refined that style over time and you can do that right over time once once you're back on your feet but yeah like that immediate rebound sometimes you can't really be picky like you just want to get stuff in there and obviously
1: we're trying to get folks to avoid going into debt i was like oh is this fake leather i don't do fake leather no <laughs> you, you could take that back no i mean i was like totally up for taking anything at that point right. in time, yeah for, for yeah. sure and uh, for things that, that your friend can't get donated and he does need to buy i would say buying used and being able to fully pay for those items in cash is best as well but then if there are items that he does feel that he has to get new uh, i would say getting a credit card with a zero percent interest rate can help him avoid paying interest while he gets back on his feet too Uh, so looking for a card maybe with that longer intro period is the way to go if he can't pay it off in full at the end of the month right Uh, we really just want to avoid this fire being like this easy excuse for your friend to be able to rack up debt Um, especially too like when you've gone through an emotional experience I feel like sometimes that can give us the mental ability to say, you know what, I'm going to treat myself because I just went through something difficult. Right. And and you know, we want to avoid that because there's a hangover that comes after that treating yourself uh, when when you get the bill in the mail and you're like, "Crap, now I'm in a, another difficult situation." And we totally want to make sure your friend avoids that.
0: Yeah, so all that being said, you know, if your friend can pay off the credit card in full at the end of every month, Definitely prioritize rewards. It's what I do, I mean, with pretty much every single one of my purchases. You know, I'm looking for ways to maximize the benefit I receive from my credit cards. So, you know, look for cards that will consistently deliver solid rewards for you know how it is that he spends. We wrote an article uh, about this that we'll link to in the show notes, you know, what cards to to look to based on how it is that you spend. And when it comes to to specific credit cards, Joel, I know you're a fan of the city double cash card where you earn two percent basically no matter what. Um, I personally, I'm, I've been a big fan of the Blue Cash Preferred card by Amex. This has become like my go-to credit card for everyday spending, you know, especially when we go to the grocery store because that card earns 6% at the grocery store. Uh, it, it does have an annual fee, but we, we found for us, we quickly and easily pay
1: for that annual fee just based on our grocery spending. Yeah, man. We've got another article on the site too that we'll put in the show notes that, that you wrote about 0% APR cards to consider. And I think that's helpful too, because some have longer periods, longer windows. And so depending on, on how long, Carolyn, it's going to take your friend to get back on his feet, uh, having you know maybe that 15 or 18 month intro 0% period, uh, can be helpful for those few things, hopefully few things that he does need to purchase that he can't pay off uh, you know, quickly. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll link to that as well in, in the show notes. But best of luck to your friend getting back on their feet. Thanks so much for being a good friend to your friend. And we wish him and you the best. Yeah, Carolyn, thanks for being a friend of the podcast.
0: <laughs> a lot of friend talk.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, let's take this next one. This one's about mortgage deferment and what you need to consider before pulling the trigger on it.
2: Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is John and I'm from Pennsylvania. I have a question regarding the pandemic mortgage deferment. So my mortgage company is allowing me to defer my mortgage for the past few months. In October, I have the choice to reevaluate that and start paying or extend the deferment. My wife lost her job due to the pandemic and there is no an insight for her to get back to work this year. While starting in October, I will be able to pay my mortgage. It would be extremely tight and I might even have to dip into my savings to make ends meet. The balance of the past due bill will need to be paid all at once at the end of our mortgage term or when we sell our house. I could easily save up that money by the time I will owe it in 25 years to pay it off. My question is, should I continue the deferment till the end of the year or likely dip into my savings to make ends meet to pay my mortgage? Any advice or suggestions would be greatly appreciated
0: hey john we are sorry about the tough times your family is having you know this is exactly what deferment is for so you know in that vein uh, we would suggest that you continue to defer your mortgage payments for the time being we cut to the chase pretty quick there joel
1: all right question Uh, uh, (laughs) question and answer over
0: it's good to explain it a little bit though so uh, the reason for this john is because it's much better to continue that deferment than to blow through your emergency savings in order to continue paying on that home Uh, this deferment can buy you extra time to, to keep your savings intact uh, while your wife continues to look for work. Um, and Joel, I wanted to mention too, You know, when it comes to terms, like he mentioned deferment, but you also hear the term forbearance thrown around. Oftentimes they're used interchangeably, uh, but it depends on the specific lender as to what that means for that specific lender we use forbearance and deferment interchangeably but john when we say that we're referring to your deferment specifically
1: yeah and sometimes they look different depending on the lender you're right every every lender is going to kind of handle things differently they're handling where those additional payments go differently and, and when they come due specifically yeah, as well is a big thing exactly but this is exactly what deferment is for i think right for for situations like john's to be able to take advantage of deferment right now uh, john here's what we would suggest so get a copy of the deferment terms in writing and keep it until you sell your home or reach the end of your mortgage payments right you want proof of the arrangement It's also important, too, to to check your credit score over the coming months. Under the CARES Act, your credit score should not be negatively impacted in any way. Uh, But some lenders have accidentally or maybe not accidentally. I think accidentally. I hope accidentally. Yeah, hopefully Uh, not maliciously. Right. Yeah, they have been dinging people's credit scores. And so it's important to keep an eye on that. Whatever uh, site you're using to check your score, whether it's a site like Credit Karma or Credit Scorecard or something like that, either way, just make sure you're staying on top of it. Uh, Because if it does get accidentally dinged, you're going to want to flag that with the credit. Bureaus so that they can remove that inaccurate report. And John, when it
0: comes to our thoughts on deferment uh, and uh, you know forbearance in general, it isn't ideal, right? But it's far better than the alternatives that are you know are open to you. Without deferment, you could potentially stumble upon even more difficult times, and you could even lose your home. And even if it doesn't get that bad, you could find yourself having to charge up debt on credit cards in order to make ends meet. Those are both really bad options. And so we would recommend for you to take the least bad option and extend that forbearance period. Give yourself some of that much needed time. Joel, it's kind of like reaching for the, the least stinky shirt in, in, the, in the dirty clothes hamper. <laughs> Sounds uh, like something you've done before. I have. <laughs> but in this case, the, the stinky shirt, it's not all that stinky. It's kind of fresh. Yeah. It still has some life in it. It's got one more wear. Maybe at least if you're going to go for a run or something like that. That's actually when I will grab a shirt out of the, the dirty hamper. <laughs> if I'm going to go for a run and just immediately sweat, I'm like, what's the point of putting on you know a clean, fresh shirt? Yeah, don't go.
1: do not do it if you're going to a, a meeting, man.
0: No, I'm not going to do that, obviously. Okay, right. But in this case, I, I think this is a perfectly good option for John. It feels, I feel like emotionally, it can kind of feel worse than it actually is. Uh, but as long as you're able to keep up with that, and in your case, John, make sure that you're aware of when it is that you have to repay those mispayments. That's what you need to know.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everyone else out there who who is having tough times, it's, it's important to know that mortgage forbearance is an option. And you have to know your rights, essentially, when it comes to that forbearance and requesting it. If you have a federally backed mortgage, you can request 180-day forbearance from your loan servicer. And then you actually have the right to ask for another 180-day forbearance period if you're still having difficulty with your finances that's basically a full year of not having to pay mortgage payments uh, but so much of it depends on how much you've been impacted by covid so go to your lender's website to see what's available for you what they're offering uh, it might be hard to get through to uh, to your lender for a little while but but keep pushing and make sure you take advantage of it if that's the thing that's going to keep your finances afloat right now
0: all right man we've got a couple more questions we've got one from Andy and one from Kelly i'm not going to say what their questions are about you're going to have to stick around till after the break for that <laughs> for your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial.
1: Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year.
0: That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs.
1: save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using policy genius head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save that's policygenius.com all right we're back from the break and we've got a couple more questions to get to on this episode first one comes from a listener out in utah who has a question about dollar cost averaging
3: hey it's andy here in utah i've got a question for you guys my work is seasonal. Most of my income comes during the summertime and uh, not so much during the wintertime. Uh, however, it uh, is enough to live off of, and so it gives us the unique ability to where we get used to living off of the wintertime funds. And so when summertime rolls around, it seems like we got a lot of surplus uh, that uh, isn't part of our normal living costs. Anyway, where I'm going with this is when we go to fund, we got two, me and my wife, we got uh, two Roth IRAs that we're funding. And we fund these during the summertime. But to take advantage of dollar cost averaging, would you guys recommend us take the money that we get during the summertime and average it out over the course of a year to dollar cost average? or should we just put it in as we get it through the summertime which way might be better for us i mean when we've been putting it in during the summertime it it is kind of dollar cost averaging we don't really pay too much attention to where the market is currently setting when we put the money in but we're only putting that money in about four months out of the year so anyway thanks for all you guys do and uh, i look forward to hearing your advice
0: Hey, Andy, thanks so much for that question. And man, we'd love that you can live off of your paycheck during those leaner months. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> you know, how great is it to know that you can fully support your family off of what you can make during those winter months. you know It's this great mental trick. It's like a, a great little life hack where you're able to keep costs low uh, and not inflate your lifestyle when some of those fatter summer months
1: come rolling around. Yeah. It's similar to if you're a two-income family, trying to live off one income. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing where, all right, living off our leanest months gets us used to uh, it just saving when we have fat months. So that yeah, that's huge, Andy. Uh, congrats to you guys for handling your money so well. And Matt, I actually uh, recently realized the importance of going into a bit more detail on some of the terms that we use on the show frequently Uh, when when I was actually talking with Emily's uh, 19-year-old stepsister, my wife's stepsister. And uh, she asked a question after listening to an episode, well, hey, what's dollar cost averaging? And, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, there are some terms that we use uh, on the reg that we don't often define. And so let's go into it real quick. It's essentially what we're automatically doing when we make contributions, regular contributions to a 401k, 403b, or TSP. And typically it's on like a weekly, biweekly, or monthly paycheck deduction basis, right? Instead of putting in a lump sum like one time a year, uh, we're, we're spreading out the risk by investing slowly over time. And we're also just making sure that it's more approachable, right? Because not many of us have six grand to fully fund a Roth at one specific time of the year. But if we do it over 12 months, that's 500 bucks a month and it feels more approachable. And, and a lot of people can't even do that, right? That's, that's hard to get to. Uh, but part of what we love about dollar cost averaging is that it removes emotion from the process, like Andy talked about, right? We buy those investments routinely and without fail. And that is ultimately the key to wealth building, which makes dollar cost averaging such a powerful tool in, in our investing tool belt.
0: Yeah. Most folks are, are either having those investments regularly deducted from their paycheck, Joel, like you mentioned, or you know if they are investing in a personal account uh, like a Roth IRA, uh, this is what I do. This is what Kate and I both do. A lot of folks tend to find it easier to have a monthly amount deducted from their checking or their savings account uh, and deposited into that account. But that's because most people don't experience the same income swings that Andy does. And so Andy, I think you've hit the the heart of how I would answer You know, when you ask your question you are basically doing a form of dollar cost averaging already. Uh, So, you know, in your case, we would recommend for you to not overthink it. This is a a good example of how perfect is the enemy of good. You know, if you overanalyze it, kind of get the analysis paralysis going on. And if that keeps you from taking regular and consistent action, uh, then you've overthought it. Oftentimes, the best path for us to take is one that we can sustain with little to no additional mental energy. And so if it feels easier to fully contribute you know, for four or five months while your earnings are high, then just keep doing what you're doing. So much of it comes down to your individual personality. I know for Kate and I, for us personally, we actually try to save up enough money so that by the end of the year, basically by the very beginning of the next year, our accounts are fully funded, and so we immediately deposit that money into our Roth accounts. We've made those contributions, but we don't purchase the investments yet. Uh, for us, that works pretty well, where well, we set aside $500 every single month at the end of the month to purchase more funds. So that way, we are dollar-cost averaging. And of course, I have overcomplicated it a, a little bit, Joel. And <laughs> you know, I, you know, I have a system to where if the market is on sale, if it goes down a little bit, I'll purchase a few months' worth of funds. And of course, this past spring was an example of where it was, you know, obviously it tanked a lot and we purchased the whole year's worth of retirement funds. And So it just depends on what works for you. For us, having a kind of a, a complicated system like that works uh, in order to take advantage of swings in the market. So in the end, it really does just kind of depend on what works for you personally.
1: Yeah, I kind of stick with a traditional dollar cost averaging approach and and do it straight up through all 12 months of the year. I find that easiest because, I I don't know, my mind tends to maybe fixate a little too much on, on the stock market, where things are going, how things are doing, if I'm not going with that approach. But that was actually one key point of what Andy mentioned, that he's not paying attention to what the market's doing. He's contributing on a sustained and regular schedule annually. But all other things being equal, Andy, I think the way you're doing it works out great. You're doing a form of dollar cost averaging that works for you, and you're getting the money in there every year, which is what's clutch. That's crucial in order to helping you build wealth uh, for the long haul. So best of luck to you and your family. Keep crushing it. And Matt, let's get to the next question. This one's from another listener who's crushing it, and they're thinking about
0: fire. But not in the context of an apartment fire. They're talking about financial independence. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Kelly from Massachusetts. I love your show. It is helping me to learn more about finances and keep up with my more financially savvy husband. I had a question after listening to your episode on the fire movement. My husband and I both work full-time now and have two small children. We have been aggressive savers and even paid off our house this year. We would love to be able to cut back on work to have more quality time together as a family. My husband talks about something called Coast Fire, where you adequately fund your retirement at the beginning of your work life so that you can work less in middle age. I did not hear you talk about this during that episode and wanted to hear your thoughts. Thanks for a great show.
0: Kelly, thanks so much for that question on fire, financial independence, retire early. We actually, yeah, we talked recently about those in episode 221 and 224. But there's a, a lot of different varieties, a lot of different uh, types of fire. You know, lean fire, fat fire, they're, they're two of the most common versions. Some are saving for a pretty nice lifestyle when they quit work. That would be fat fire. And others are totally fine with a more bare bones income, which would be lean fire. It just kind of depends on what you're Goals are, but Coast Fire—it's another interesting alternative. Uh, if you start investing a lot of money when you're super young, and by that, what we're talking about here is maxing out your IRAs and your workplace retirement accounts, like a 401k. Every year for close to a decade, you can you know amass enough to be able to stop investing completely. With that 401k and kind of IRA combo, you can essentially sock away twenty five thousand dollars each every single year if you are incredible savers. If you both do this for maybe five to seven years depending on other factors, you can stop investing altogether and then let that money work for your future retirement over the decades. And that's because of you know the compounding returns. Uh, the assumption is that your money will double every roughly nine to 10 years in the market. And so that's kind of the math behind how Coast Fire works. You kind of get that money in on the front end, uh, and then you don't necessarily have to worry about that as much. You can kind of sit back and coast.
1: Yeah, and then when you stop contributing to those retirement accounts because you've crushed that goal already in in like let's say, you know, six, seven, eight years, you've got a lot more flexibility with the income that you you do make. You can, like you mentioned, prioritize working less in some of those more important years when you have young kiddos. That's, you know, something that Matt and I have thought about a good deal is how can we work less during these years where our kids are at home. And one of the other awesome things about Coast Fire Matt in particular is that you actually have to save Less money this way uh, because you're letting compounding returns over the decades do the heavy lifting, do the major work for you. It's magic. Yeah. (laughs) You're using that that eighth wonder of the world of compounding returns, and your initial investment amount actually doesn't have to be as big uh, compared to the traditional route of spreading out your investing over a 30 plus year lifespan. Um, If you front load the sacrifice, as our friend Doc G would say, and you put in a ton of money early on in your investing lifetime, and you're putting in 50,000 bucks as a couple, you know, over a, a six, seven, eight year period, you really don't have to invest any more in all likelihood for your retirement uh, past that window.
0: Yeah. So Kelly, we're we're huge fans of choosing a lifestyle that works best for you and your family. I love that you're letting your vision of what you want your family life to look like. You know, you're letting that influence how you're handling your money now. Uh, and Coast Fire has a lot of appeal for those who are fortunate enough to earn a decent salary and then disciplined enough to not spend a whole lot of it and invest it instead so if you and your husband are both in agreement you know keep talking tons of money away now while you are preparing yourself for that incredibly flexible future you know and when it comes to the lifestyle uh, it's also too about choosing the, the type of work that you uh, continue to do because a part of coast fire is you maybe stepping away from a job that's a little more stressful uh, and instead taking one that maybe you're a little more passionate about and you're able to do that because you don't have to worry about you know, saving tons of money towards retirement, you can take something that maybe pays a little bit less. uh, But it is assumed that you will continue to work one way or the other.
1: Yeah. Or you can go part time, choose fewer hours. Exactly. Start your own thing. I mean, the world is kind of your oyster once you've front loaded a lot of those investment needs uh, early on in your working career. But I think it can be helpful to a lot of people, especially our younger listeners out there, right? Even if you're not quite sure, like what you're saving and investing for, front loading the sacrifice, putting more in investments early on, uh, pays major dividends and allows for a lot more flexibility down the road. So Matt, even when I was in my early 20s, I didn't really know like what my future was going to look like. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. But I kind of had an idea of what I wanted my life to look like, um, even though it was incredibly general, not specific yet. And so prioritizing investing in those years is just as important, if not more important. And it can help you achieve the future goals (laughs) that you're going to create later on in your life that you don't even know exist yet. Like I didn't know that I was going to want to spend more time with my kids because I didn't have any yet. But regularly and continually making those investments anyway has allowed that to become more of a reality in my life basically a decade and a half later. Yeah. And then with Kelly,
0: her knowing exactly what it is that she's pursuing, you know, how much more is her, you know, intensity going to ramp up right now in order to kind of live the life that she does want to lead, you know, in the years to come. So Kelly, we love that you asked this question. This is great. And we wish you and your family the best of luck. All right, Joel, let's go ahead and shift gears, man. Let's take it back to the beer. This episode, you and I shared a Southern Brewing Company's, their red wine food or beer. And I will give you the honor what were your thoughts on this one man all right first let's talk about what a fooder beer means we've talked about it before but sometimes folks miss the
1: beer explanation stuff (laughs) so let's yeah let's revisit it all right a fooder is basically this giant oak vessel for aging beer it allows the beer time to change and develop and at the same time it takes on oftentimes a a nice oaky characteristic i believe uh, fooders traditionally they're french right maybe that's my guess. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we're not experts on fooders. But, uh, but yeah, they, they do make some good beers. And this beer, man, is it's it's tart. It's funky. It does have some of those oak notes. It's got a little bit of that red wine vibe. So, basically, after this beer was it was aged in fooders, it was then transferred to red wine barrels. And I feel like you do pick up um, some of those red wine notes. And, and it's delicious, man. Like, I really, really like this beer. It's got a nice complexity. A lot of different notes going on, but they all work together. They harmonize really, really well.
0: Yeah, man, I'm with you. It's it's a super balanced beer, you know, like the the tart and sour notes balanced with the the sweetness, you know, of the sour allows it to be very drinkable. It's the perfect kind of beer that I want to be drinking, kind of here at the end of summer, at the beginning of fall. It's got me thinking about the upcoming winter a little bit with some of those oaky, woody notes. This is the kind of beer I would drink all the time if I was digging something a little more sour. So that's it for the beer talk. I'm glad you and I got to share this one together, man. Uh, And that's going to be it for this episode. Our listeners can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. There, we'll make sure to link to any posts or any other resources that we mentioned during this episode.
1: Yeah. And if you have a question that you want featured on an upcoming Ask HTM episode, we would love to hear it. Just go to our website, com slash ask. You'll find the simple instructions there to submit your voice question. uh, And hopefully we can take it really soon. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, buddy. Best friends out. Best friends out.